The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. It is Sam Jesse. I am here with Billy Ray Mitchell, who is in, if you're wondering where Billy Ray is, you guessed it, Birmingham, Alabama, just <laughs> got to his hotel, can't stay in the same place at once. We are joined in episode three of Behind Enemy Lines with Todrick Hunt. Todrick Hunt is a writer for NJ.com covering New Jersey football, Big Ten recruiting, New Jersey high school. Uh, you really just seem to be a football guy, Todrick. No, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the greatest sport in the world. I mean, when you look at what the game has given to so many guys and what they're able to give back to the game, I just think it's an awesome sport that's opened up so many opportunities for young guys like like Billy Ray, obviously, and, and tons of guys throughout the state and country. And even scrawny kids who weren't very good at football, so they picked up volleyball, can, can oh. talk football sometimes. So that's me. <laughs> so what is your connection to Rutgers University? What what yeah. makes you care about the Scarlet Knights? Well, ultimately, uh, I graduated from Rutgers. I actually graduated from Rutgers Newark, but I took some summer classes in New Brunswick. Um, you know, so there was a connection there. And obviously, just being a football guy, you always paid attention to uh, the FBS program in the state. And that was always Rutgers. And you always wondered, you know, what it would be like if Rutgers could ever put it all together and figure it out. Um, you know, and they've had some success and come close other times, uh, sort of been a back and forth uh, struggle over the past couple decades. Right now, I feel like the program's uh, trending upwards uh, in a good place. Uh, they flipped the roster. Um, you know, they've been a lot more of a, a physical football team and they're giving them a chance. They're giving themselves a chance to win uh, weekend and week out. Yeah, so let's talk about New Jersey football. And I think, you know, for a lot of our listeners who are from the, the Virginia and North Carolina area, they might not have a good idea of how elite football is in New Jersey, especially the private school scene. Billy Ray, you obviously uh, played for a private school in New Jersey. And, Todrick, you cover it. What makes it so special, and why are there so many elite players that come from Jersey every single recruiting class? Well, I think one of the things that a lot of the college coaches uh, notate when it comes to New Jersey is the quality of the coaching um, in some of these places, especially in places like the Big North, where really Ray came from. And um, I find a lot of really well-coached uh, high school football teams out here in South Jersey as well, um, you know, some located throughout North Jersey uh, too. So um, that obviously helps. Uh, I just think football is, 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 is sort of bred um, um, in, in guys that grow up around here. And, and I think it's sort of like an automatic link to opportunity for a lot of young men uh, throughout the state that, that identify with it. You know, their fathers have played it, their uncles. You get a lot of guys living through their kids, and it's just a thing that you do. Um, so there's great spirit to it. Um, you know, kids are playing young, playing up against older comp competition. 
you know, uh, playing national football through AYF, through Pop Warner. You got programs like Brick City, um, you know, the Matawan Huskies, who I was a part of a few years back. We actually went to nationals and took that team pretty far, ended up the number four team in the country. Uh, I must say my son was on that team and um, a bunch of other kids that ended up playing uh, big time football as well. But uh it's, it's, it's a special place. Now I'm here on the south side, and there's other things I appreciate, like the food we were talking a little bit uh, beforehand about. I want to say another thing that I think contributes to it. First of all, if you don't have any idea of what the layout is for New Jersey, like, one, I think access to training is so important. You know of how many gyms there are set up. It's, it's not necessarily that, okay, I'm going to go play football, and, you know, that's kind of just a, a, a side thing. It's kind of – if you play – I think New Jersey, if you play – a sport a lot of people specialize in just one if it's wrestling it's wrestling if it's baseball it's baseball if it's basketball if it's football and another thing too i think the concentration of the talent in new jersey plays a huge role into that uh unlike virginia where you know you go to a public school and that's kind of just how it goes most of the elite talent Todrick, i'd say about 85 percent of the top talent in new jersey is probably dispersed across six schools and those six schools, four of them are within 15 minutes of each other. And that's kind of why you see at the end of each year, you look at the max preps rankings, especially in the early 2010s, you would see New Jersey teams with one or two losses finishing in the top 20 nationally, whether it be Don Bosco, Bergen Catholic, St. Joe's, Paramus Catholic, because they understand from top to bottom, they have high end talent. And a lot of those players that either didn't go on to play college football or play college football at a lower level, we're so well coached and amazing, amazing football players like a Mark Fassati or a Marquise Watson, guys that you had never heard of, but were phenomenal, phenomenal football players. I love Mark Fassati and his awareness. He's just always around the football, you know, making plays. Um, but I'll tell you, Billy Ray, I, I feel like there's been like a couple, couple shifts. So that's certainly the way it was as far as the lay of the land at one point. I felt like, like you said, those six schools kind of concentrated, you know, most of the top talent in the state. Then I felt like it sort of shifted to the point where Bergen Catholic and St. Peter's sort of started to separate themselves from some of the other guys and really start to clean up and get all the top prospects in the area. And I felt a bit of a power shift there. But now something uh, even more interesting is happening. A lot of the inner city kids from North Jersey are starting to stay, stay home and also return back home you know, to some of the programs that they played for through their Pop Warner uh, days, their AYF days, and just staying home with their brothers as opposed to going to a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of the Catholic schools, you know, which are obviously known for success, but 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 keeping their talent home and giving their, their hometown teams chances to win championships and do all of those things. And just seeing that there's also an avenue to be able to, you know, get to college through some of these programs as well. Uh, I'm not going to act like you know, that's all of them. There are certain, you know, particular programs that do a better job, you know, for their kids than others, because there are some that, you know, unfortunately, you know, do or have failed their kids. But um, there are some good ones that do a great job, you know, especially programs like Irvington. Um, I mean, it seems like every year they're just pumping out guys. Right now they have my top senior in the state on their roster and Vabu Toure, who I think is just a magnificent player. Um, but uh, they're, they're one of the programs, uh, you know, definitely doing it right. Yeah, let's just I, I have right now the 2024 uh, 247 database for the top recruits in New Jersey. Just listen to some of these schools for the top 10 guys. We got two guys going to Georgia. Uh, Gabriel Winowich, the third best recruit in the state, going to, to Rutgers. Uh, 
Torre, like you said, Penn State. We got a Michigan, Ohio State, Stanford, another two Rutgers. Uh, number 13 player in the class, Aiden Lynch, offensive tackle from Flanders, New Jersey, is committed to Virginia Tech. I mean, the list goes on. I keep scrolling, and I see guys committed to Miami. North I've been trying Florida. to tell people this, Sam. I've been trying it's to tell deep. people. Yeah, to tell people. But, I, but I tell you, Sam, we, we got our own list over here. Or, or should I say my own list? It's called the NJ.com top, top top 50. And, I mean, we break down guys from all four classes, and we sort of blend it all together and break down the list of top recruits throughout the state. And then we also itemize it so you can break it down by class. Uh, but certainly uh, the top you know, 50 is just it, – it's tough. Like, you struggle to get guys in. There's so much talent throughout the state. There's so much more than 50 players even, 100, 150 players. I feel like at any one point in time uh, throughout the state – you know, you've got 100 kids throughout the state with at least an FBS offer in the pocket, 100 to 120 kids, maybe peaks up to about about 150 kids at one point in time. So uh, considering how small the state is, um, I think the second smallest uh, state in the world per per landmass, although I think um, one of the most populated states in the country as well, right, which is where, you know, I think North Jersey, we talk about the programs like Paramus Catholic and in those highly populated areas, right? there's more of a chance that you'll get, you know, uh, great players, right? Because you're dealing with a, a, a thicker population um, at schools, which are intentional, you know, about, um, you know, going out there and, um, you know, finding the players that help them compete. This is, this is a question for both of you, but um, little tangent, Virginia Tech has a, a commit from a player, Tommy Ricard from Hudson, Ohio, that's in Northeast Ohio, where they they just live football. And one of the reasons players have been so successful from that area is they kind of have a system from when you're young of you. Everyone plays at the same pop Warner. You go to the same middle school, you go to the same high school, you're coached all the way through with the same offensive systems, the same defensive systems. You're trained in the weight room. Like it is a program to create college football players that quite frankly, we don't have in the Commonwealth. There's a lot of really talented players, but you don't have that system. And from it sounds like from, from you guys, you do have that system in New Jersey as well. So I think my question is like, what is it like, one, going through that system as a young man? And two, like, how do you think that prepares guys for big time college football? Because a lot of guys, they struggle with the shift from I just play football for fun to this is basically my job. I think it's really interesting. I, I had a unique experience where so I showed up to my first day. Todrick, me, you may not know this. I showed up to my first day of playing football ever at Westwood uh, at the dumps. We used to practice at the dumps. And Chris Partridge was on the field. He was a 28-year-old. He worked at some software company with Greg Russo. So I had the same head football coach and offensive coordinator from second grade all the way up until I finished I finished high school. He coached me from second grade all the way up to eighth grade. Then he took the Paramus Catholic job, coached there, went to uh, Ole Miss as a defensive coordinator. Now he's at, uh, he's at Michigan. Some of the other things that kind of, you know, fall in line with what you were saying are like, for example, a lot of kids that went to Bergen Catholic, Don Bosco, St. Joe's, Bergen Catholic. We all went to Parisi's. Parisi's was literally a school dedicated to teaching kids how to run. Like, I know that sounds silly, yeah. but you would you, you would be, you know, eight years old working on, um, you know, doing 40 yard get offs. You'd be working on, um, you know, in eighth grade, we started to learn how to hang clean. And at Paramus Catholic, and I'm sure it's the same way at some of these other parochial schools, we had we had literal, like, actual strength programs. We would be in there at 6 o'clock in the morning. They would have you on a calorie number. 
when we were in high school. Uh, they would have different uh, dining plans for you uh, when we would go eat. Now, a lot of that is credit to uh, Chris Partridge and uh, kind of the way that they raised that program. But when I went to college, like a lot of people had to be taught how to properly squat or properly hang clean or properly set up to run a 40 yard dash. New Jersey, especially North Jersey, Bergen County, does an amazing job of kind of indoctrinating you into that program from when you're in fifth grade on. Oh, yeah, I agree. And guys like EJ, I remember at, EJ, at one point in time, EJ had the guys out there really going and, and training real hard. And, and guys were, you know, going 45 minutes, you know, driving 45 minutes away to get out there and get that training. Parisi's obviously, you're talking about dedicated you know, dedicated sports training for young athletes. Um, and, and I do think really that's a great point, something that sort of separates the state from maybe some other places where, where guys get a head start. And then you add in the coaching and you start to understand why such a small state, you know, produces so much top talent. It's very, it, it's very, you know, Sam, it probably comes off as these are two guys who know the same people, but names like EJ Barthel, uh, the Nunziato family, the yes. Toll family. Greg Toll was a legendary coach at Don Bosco, and his son actually played fullback at Virginia Tech. Um, yeah. These are names that are not just familiar with, like, me and Todrick. These are names that, if you live in New Jersey, you know who they are. One more that I'll mention, he passed away a few years ago, was Joe Carini. Joe Carini had a gym um, over, by, uh, over by Newark. And, I mean, he worked out Sean O'Hara, Alquadine Muhammad, uh, BJ Raji, uh, all these NFL guys would go work out there. And again, like if you were somebody in football, there's a group of about five to eight people from a weightlifting perspective, a, a film perspective yep. and a uh, speed perspective that you knew who they were and you were working with them in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, football was 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 and still is a very serious thing out here in the state of New Jersey. Uh, it's a little bit different now, especially when it comes to, I, I would say, um, the recruiting piece. Um it's a little bit slower now, especially after COVID. I feel like everybody sort of dropped down one level, you know, so great for the schools, especially those like FCS schools that are able to kind of pick up some lower level FBS type talent that sort of fell a level due to, um, you know, the, the free year awarded by the NCAA and now schools access to the transfer portal when you can just go get a plug and play. I mean, you give a give a head coach a choice, you know, whether he wants to take a 22 year old experienced, you know, young man or some 18 year old kid who he's got to, you know, shave 40 pounds off and then put 60 pounds back on when he doesn't know if he'll have a job next year. You know, it's, it's a pretty easy choice. So why hasn't Rutgers been able to capitalize on this as the only FBS program in the state of New Jersey? I mean, they've had it hopping at different points in times, especially in, you know, Shiano, you know, 1.0. Um, obviously, that was a different conference. So now this is this is a whole different ball game. But the blueprint is there. Um, you know, it's all about obviously reaching the talent and, and making these guys believe. And then also, you know, on the flip side, you know, producing the tangible results, you know, once they're there. Um, you know, to prove it on, on, on the back end, right? That'll keep the talent continuing to come in. I think, uh, you know, Rutgers has been, and Greg Schiano um, particularly, has been very intentional about flipping the roster um, over the past few years. Um, you know, now this is a roster full of his guys. So it's time to suit up and go, you know, and, and ball out. And I think uh, I'm really excited about this VT game because I just think it's such a great test you know, for Rutgers and where they're at, and especially, you know, the young quarterback, Gavin Wimsatt, 
um, you know, and finding out just how much the game is slowing down for him, you know, having that defensive line that you guys have and the way they get after the passer and then, you know, as stout as, as, stout as you guys are inside, it's a great test for that offensive line, that running game, you know, and, and particularly Gavin, you know, and his decision-making and, and just seeing how, how much the game is slowing down for him. Todrick, real quick question, because I think that there's a little bit of a parallel to what Virginia Tech fans may have been upset about the last few years and what Rutgers struggled with pre-Shiano. I think that Rutgers made a big mistake uh, after the Shiano era where they made a decision. Tell me if I'm wrong. You know more about this than me. I'm just speaking from Paramus Catholic's perspective. It seemed that if Rutgers had two different athletes, right, and they were extremely comparable and they had to decide who they either wanted to pursue or who they wanted to offer. Before Shiano got there, they would prefer to go to Florida and try to recruit that athlete versus staying right home in New Jersey. I look at, you know, my my team from, you know, 2014 and the 2015 time, they were very stingy with who got offers from Paramus Catholic. I know Juwan Bushel Beattie got one late when he was clearly going to be somebody that was uh, going to be a player that played at the next level. Najee Clayton was another one they were on early, and obviously Jabril Peppers was um, for every program in the country. But I felt like pre-Shiano, Shiano has brought back really emphasizing the Garden State, and Pry has done the same thing in Virginia. Yeah, I feel like all of the guys that kind of get in this seat, you know, sort of have that game plan, or at least initially to, to kind of keep, you know, kids home. I mean, I mean, you obviously want to start exactly where you are and, and, and your radius and grabbing the top talent because that that's, you know, for anybody, that's going to be your start point. That's going to make the most sense. That's going to be potentially your lowest hanging fruit, right? Because you have the greatest access to these guys. They should be able to get to campus most easily. So, and Rutgers being the only FBS program in the state, you know, that, 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 that's certainly all, all advantage and, and, and things that Rutgers has, you know, certainly looked to take advantage of, but ultimately, you know, being able to pull together those classes, you know, where they get three to four, four stars, you know, that's happened two, three times um, and has potential to happen again. But it's just tough when you're playing in a league like the Big Ten East, where you're playing against teams that have, you know, 10 to, to, to 18 four stars, you know, that they're pulling in every single year, you know. So certainly, you know, to, to compete physically, right, you know, it, it's a challenge, right? And you're recruiting guys, right? Um, Big Ten type guys, right, that have all the physical attributes that you feel like down the line you can develop and they can be a guy as opposed to that guy that you can just pluck out of high school and and sort of plug and play. Um, that's that's just sort of the difference, you know, as far as the um, developmental curve when it comes to the two programs that have to compete evenly on the field. So um, it's taking some time. You know, it'll be interesting to see exactly where Rutgers is at right now, again, with, you know, Shiano's guys. Uh, completely and a great opportunity starting off the season two and all. Before we get to some questions about the town of Pascataway and kind of predictions for the game, the rest of the season, uh, say something nice about Rutgers. This is a new segment I'm putting on the show <laughs> game against number three Louisville in 2006. You talked about the heyday of Rutgers. It's the best field storm in college football history. Instantaneous. Instantaneously. It's, it's, the field is full. So cool. It's yeah. the color red. It happens from every angle. It's so fast. It's incredible. It's peak college football. Yeah, no, amazing. I believe back then I was actually working in finance. I remember watching the game in my 
at the time I had a one bedroom apartment in Perth Am Amboy, New Jersey. I was sitting there with my now wife. We have four kids now. I don't even know if we had, we had two kids at the time, but uh, it was just such an exciting time, such an exciting atmosphere watching that game to the point where as soon as it ended, we got our clothes on and, and just jetted down to New Brunswick just to party. You know, and we're just, you know, bar hopping and partying with, with, with crazy Rutgers fans. Um, and then we were able to return. I, I believe it was the next year when Rutgers beat South Florida. I think they rise as high as seventh in the country. You know, so remember, these are primetime games, seventh in the country. Um, you know, they had it happen at one point. And so, so, you know, they had the recipe to potentially do it again. But it's just a different game now with the transfer portal, uh, NIL. Um, so it's certainly some new uh, challenges, but I think one thing Greg Schiano has done is, is shown his willingness to change with the times. Uh, I mean, it's not like coaches really have any choice. I mean, it's, it's you either get down with the program or you lose out on top talent, uh, which means you won't be winning games, which means you won't be there very long. So um, I think Rutgers has done a nice job adapting with that. And right now they're on a nice little wave, and this VT game will be very, very telling for both programs. Let's talk about your favorite bar in the skyway let's say someone's coming up from blacksburg from richmond from dc wherever where do they got to go uh, i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with the olive branch i'm gonna go with the olive branch um just great atmosphere um probably the best bar food you'll get in uh in new brunswick uh the owner's a great guy um you know really ruckers friendly if you want if you want some ruckers atmosphere and you know, a lot of students will be in there. It'll be pretty packed on game day. Uh, so you may have to wait a little bit, but the, the food will be good. The atmosphere will be solid, you know, and uh, people will be pretty nice to you. So uh, Olive Branch has always been pretty solid for me and my guys. All right. Olive Branch, write it down if you're traveling up to Jersey <laughs> for the game. What is a – so Rutgers is, I mean, I guess you could call them the most traditional program because they played the first game against Princeton. Uh what is a Rutgers tradition, history, something that people in the program cherish that people outside the program probably haven't heard of? Hmm. Huh, okay. There's a lot of things. I mean, I think uh, people get pretty excited about the Scarlet Walk, which is something that, uh, uh, you know, was implemented a few years back where guys load up before the game and sort of uh, give you that uh, pregame experience. Um, there's a lot of old one, but old ones, but there's a lot of new things too that I think Rutgers has added. You know, as far as um, you know, things that will eventually become traditional um, to add some excitement to game day. Like I remember going to a Penn State game. I, it was like the first or second whiteout game, and you know, I've been to a ton of Rutgers games covering a program, but I but I just remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I get it. Because I couldn't understand why a kid from New Jersey would want to leave the state to play football and not and not stay home, um, but just popping out for that game, I was just like, "Wow, I get it," you know. And it was it was about more than just the football game; it was just overall presentation, atmosphere, and all of that packed into one thing. And I think Rutgers has gotten a lot better uh, at that piece of it as well. Uh, the game day atmosphere is great, you know, the lights and all that carrying on, and, and the jumbotrons and, and and the music and all of the choreographed, you know, drones and pregame stuff they got going on. I think that eventually will work itself into the fabric of, of some of their traditions. They got uh, the only ones that I would that I would highlight that people may not know 
number one, anytime Rutgers does something good, they have a train horn, which I think is pretty cool. I don't know of another, I don't know of another place that does it. Uh, and then uh, and they got, the, got the cannon that's always firing, scaring people half to death. I, so. I heard about the cannon because we have a cannon too. So I did yeah. hear about I did hear about the cannon. Um, and then the other two things, number fifty-two is uh, Eric Legrand, big big time, uh, not just supporter of the program, but uh, someone who played at Rutgers and unfortunately had a uh, a neck injury um, and has been kind of the not a rallying cry, but has been someone that has really rallied around the Rutgers community has rallied around. He has a whiskey now. Yeah, and, and just and just such an inspiration. You know, you talk about the whiskey and all the great things that that he's doing the coffee house. I mean, you know, all the great opportunities that he's had. And, you know, you talk about belief, um, you know, and the belief that, that ultimately, you know, he could get back on his feet and, you know, and, and, and do tremendous things. And you just pray and continue to hope and believe that technology continues to improve and catch up, you know, as we continue to buy time and, and, and he continues to live his life and do great things you know, um, to the point where he can get out of that chair. And I believe it'll happen. Um, and I'm excited for that day. He's been such a tremendous inspiration to a lot of people in the Rutgers community and throughout the country. Um, I was there at the game, actually, um, where, when he was injured, you know, with my wife. And um, it's just, as a football parent especially, it's one of those moments that really makes you you pause and, and realize that, you know, um, you know, life is a lot bigger than football. Um, but when you watch the way, um, you know, Coach Shiano rallied around Eric and his family, um, the team did and the community did, it also showed you, you know, why football is also important to so many people. And one last one last thing. Uh, I'm glad you highlighted that. The, the other thing that people may not get is uh, the chop, which is something that was instilled by Coach Shiano, never really left. And now it's it's back. So can you just kind of tell people if you see FTC if you see people doing, you're going to be like, oh, that's Florida State's thing. It's actually not. It's, it's right. the Rutgers thing. Yeah, and a few people for some reason have tried to steal that. I know Mel Tucker, uh, you know, the the, the former uh, Michigan State head coach, tried to somehow ad adopt that and claim it, uh, which was interesting and I know angered a lot of Rutgers fans. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's just popular and it's, and it's cool enough where a lot of people try, have tried to take credit for it. But it's definitely a Rutgers thing, a Greg Schiano thing uh, that they've leaned on and a philosophy that they've been able to sort of build the program around. This episode of the Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by the River Course. And look, we talk about greatness all the time. And when you talk about golf, Pebble Beach, Augusta, Bandon Dunes, dare I say Shinnecock. The river course sits squarely in the middle of this conversation. A top 10 college course in America, according to Golf Digest, and the home for the For Those to Come golf tournament. And look, if you head on down there and you mention Sons of Saturday, we got some hookups for you. 50% off appetizers. Who doesn't like appetizers? 10% off of headwear and apparel at the golf shop. I mean, get yourself a new outfit, feel good, look good, play good. And the cream of the crop, new annual student memberships will receive a free cart fee and new adult memberships will receive a free foursome plus a complimentary lunch. The River Course, unparalleled greatness, unparalleled beauty, nestled right in Southwest Virginia. Let's talk about the game a little bit here. 
again, it's it's one of those kind of weird games where it's ACC versus Big Ten. There should be a lot of energy from it, but obviously last weekend did not go very well for the Hokies for a few different reasons. And then Rutgers has been, they played Northwestern and they played Temple, not two great opponents, but to be 2-0, and for their defense to look as good as it has, they definitely have a lot of momentum playing this game at home, especially. We talked about how it's it's a barometer for Rutgers. It's also a barometer for the Hokies. Do you think Rutgers, one, playing at home, how much of an advantage is that? And two, do you think there's a little bit added pressure going kind of that next step up in competition and knowing, okay, this is like a big game for our program. This is a a measuring stick game. Whereas Virginia Tech played Purdue last week, so they've kind of had that they've, – they've played that competition this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think as a player, like you're just itching and ready to go. Like you just want to face – you're excited uh, to face the top competition in the – really get that litmus test and find out where you are as a football program. You know, you beat up on a couple guys, um, had a tough, you know, start against Temple. I thought a slow start, at least offensively, you know, really found themselves in the fourth, fourth quarter. And I think uh, maybe stumbled upon something they can lean on in the run game, you know, just getting uh, just getting body on body, being a physical team. Um, and, that, and that's another trademark of this team that you don't always see with Rutgers football teams. This is a physical group. Um, I, you know, I know Rutgers was really intentional about that when recruiting these guys. Um, and, and you're starting to see Rutgers, you know, play bully in some of these some of these football games. Obviously, you're talking Northwestern, you're talking Temple. Northwestern came back, looked a little bit better, um, you know, in week two. So, you know, you, you don't really know exactly where anybody's at at this point uh, in the year, but certainly exciting time for Rutgers fans looking at what Rutgers has done so far, what that defensive line looks like. And then you watch, you know, Gavin Wimsatt and, in the time of possession, which is also, you know, keeping the defense, you know, healthy and, 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 and ready to go. Yeah, I think it definitely will be about which team can kind of control the pace of the game, can keep the ball a little bit, can keep drives going, because it looks like the Hokies will be with Kyron Drones, uh, backup quarterback, definitely an athletic freak. Don't know how good he is at throwing the ball. We will see on Saturday, but yeah, I think it's going to come down to which team can control the line of scrimmage because both teams are going to want to run the football and both teams kind of lean on their defenses as well. Yeah, I mean, in turnovers, right, explosive turnovers. I mean, that's been key for Gavin Wimsat. you know, zero interceptions after two games, you know, the higher completion percentage. So staying away from those bad plays, you know, that cause sudden change, you know, that Virginia Tech defense is the type of defense that can put some points on the board if you make big enough mistakes. So, you know, certainly being intentional, slowing things down and making sure, you know, you're seeing where you're throwing the football, I think will be key for Rutgers. What do you feel – about the rest of the season for Rutgers, has your outlook changed at all after the after the first two weeks of the season? Uh, I mean, it certainly has. I mean, you got, you got a lot of bull talk bouncing around. People are, you know, getting excited, just like any fan base would, especially when you've been, you know, starved for so long. You know, you get a get a little bit of light. You start seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. And maybe it starts feeling like some of those other teams that ultimately had some success, you know. Uh, obviously, you take it one game at a time, but um, it starts to feel like things are building. Um, but, uh, you know, like we said, this is the real litmus test game. You know, two good teams. I love the matchup. You know, I'm seeing probably a low scoring game, maybe not quite as low as people think. Um, you know, I know Rutgers offensively hasn't shown much 
I know people sometimes get frustrated with with, with the with the two man football and running the football. Um, but I think there's you know strategy in that and not showing everything you got against Northwestern uh, and Temple. Uh, so uh, you know I think that'll factor into uh, you know the final score. And what do you think that final score will be? Because I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh man, yeah, I've been kind of going back and forth with it. I was thinking. I just think when you when it comes down to you got two you know good defensive football teams that Virginia Tech defense is very impressive they get to the quarterback they're stout inside um, you know Rutgers you know strong defensive line good linebackers and, and good DBs two good defenses stout defenses um, I look at the offenses uh, I mean it's tough I know I know I know VT is dealing with a lot of injuries you know to their playmakers which I think gives Rutgers maybe a little bit of an easier time scoring points, right? And I think they can maybe put together, you know, enough drives. And I think maybe they beat VT over the top for one. I want to say 17, 13 Rutgers, but I'm thinking maybe something like 23, 17 Rutgers. You know, it could go either way. You know, good defensive battle where we maybe get a couple of fireworks plays that makes the, makes the score a little bit more pretty. But uh, I'm looking forward to see how both teams, you know, come out the way VT responds, um, you know, the way Rutgers plays offensively, whether they're able to protect their defense, um, you know, by keeping the football how they have been throughout the first two weeks of the season. You know, Sam, I didn't get a chance to mention this um, on the preview that we recorded last night. Um it just really, it really worries me, our lack of ability to run the football at home. And if you can't run the football on the road, you put yourself in a really, really tough box. Um, this many yards, Billy Ray. This many yards. Yeah. Love it. So, yeah, we averaged, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's half a yard per, uh, per attempt. So, Running the football at this time of the year when you don't have, you know, everything clicking, you know, Billy Ray, it's just a nightmare. <laughs> The defense is always ahead of the offense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those guys are always in those gaps where they're not supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's just a timing thing, you know, I think in, in, in an offense-defense thing. And I think Rutgers was experiencing a lot of that as well. Uh, looked like they worked out some of the kinks in the fourth quarter of that, of that game against Temple. So that's something that we'll be watching closely to see if that carries over. Uh, I know they got Tyler Needham, uh, the right tackles dinged up and may not go so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the offensive line responds. Definitely going to be a close game, I think. Definitely going to be a low-scoring game. I think if you're the Hokies, you need to create some turnovers. I think turnovers are really what kind of lost them the game against Purdue. Uh, two Grant Wells interceptions, no turnovers for the Boilermakers, and that just kind of made it too high of a hill to climb for the Hokies in that weather and considering the injuries as well. So I think if the Hokies can win the turnover battle, maybe get a couple long goals here and there. I don't know. I think they can do it, but it's going to be really, really tough. Uh, Sir, uh, excuse me, not Syracuse, Rutgers. Rutgers is going to be firing on all cylinders. They're going to come out ready to play. So a big, big test for Brent Pry and this staff to get their guys ready to go after a tough week. Uh, Billy Ray, I haven't I haven't listened to the preview pod yet. That's on tomorrow's docket. What what what's your prediction? I I, I have to be completely honest. I, I I took a page out of Pat's book. I don't predict the Hokies to lose in September. Um, I, I went twenty four to twenty one. I, I I don't feel awesome about it. Um, again, it just really really concerns me. Um, 
to go on the road and face. I mean, Todrick, I think one of the most the most one of the most fun things for me are. Um, you know, I said it on the preview pod. My middle linebacker from high school is the defensive line coach for Rutgers. And when I look at uh, when I look at Rutgers, yes. when I look at what they do well, they do well everything that we do not cover and attack well. Uh, they are quite frankly the reference I used on the last podcast was, um, you know, when you go in and it's exactly what the doctor ordered. Right. This is absolutely not what the doctor ordered for Virginia Tech, given their first couple of games. So. Um, we'll see. We'll see. And, and, it, and, it, and it goes both ways. That's what makes it such an exciting matchup. I mean, you know, VT's got the medicine for Rutgers, too. I mean, they, they take away exactly what Rutgers wants to do. And make no doubt about it, they're, they're going to heat up Gavin Winsat. They're going to test him out. You know, they're going to test his ability to process, his ability to get the football out quickly, the ability to make uh, fat, quick decisions. So, uh, that's what I'm excited to see, just his maturation, exactly where he's at after throwing no interceptions in the first two games, being that that was something that he battled last season. He just reminds me – he gives me, obviously, not as not as good, but he gives me Lynn Bowden vibes, a guy that's okay. not a fantastic thrower of the football, but incredible at making and extending plays. Um, and that is – another thing that concerns me is Virginia Tech has been really, really poor – at uh, managing contain and keeping a quarterback in the pocket. They're getting a lot of pressure, but once the quarterback does break the pocket, there's 15 or 20 yards for him to run. And Old Dominion's quarterback was was not a Division One quarterback, and he was running all over the place. So um, Wimsat is going to be a whole lot better than what we saw against Old Dominion, and they're going to have to find a way uh, to limit his ability to make big plays in space. And the thing that a lot of people don't know is, is the thing with Gavin Wimsat is he was he was considered more of a, a you know a pro style guy, a throw first guy, you know, as a four star recruit. And one thing that you know scouts and evaluators loved about his ability in high school was the deep ball accuracy. So that's something that we haven't seen a ton of uh, yet at Rutgers. We saw a big play to Jaquay Jackson last week, maybe a preview of some things to come. Um, but that's what he was known for. So. Uh, I've always kind of kept that in my hip pocket, thinking if he ever really gets that back together at the college level, that really opens up things for Rutgers offensively, especially, you know, running the football and, you know, pretty much everything that will be able to work off each other, you know, sort of after that. Um, you know, he's he's really worked intentionally on the accuracy piece, um, leading the football team and, and doing all the right things you're supposed to do and has had good results throughout the first two weeks. But they ain't seen no defense like the Hokies, so – I'm excited to see how he responds. I'm excited to see them throw, you know, all tons of, of coverages at him, you know, changing things, uh, pre-snap, post-snap, and just how he reacts to all of those different different things. I'm going to go Hokies 20, Rutgers 17. Okay. Late field goal to win it. But that's okay. about as positive as I can go. Okay. I, I don't think I can give three. I don't, I don't think I can get – three touchdowns we don't know what Kyron Jones looks like we we've only seen him throw against a uh a prevent shell defense mm-hmm. and uh there's just uh the whole team is kind of still a work in progress yeah yeah we're all we're all pretty much in the same area you know competitive football game you know mostly defensive I'm just hoping for a couple fireworks offensively uh, to make things uh, a little more interesting but I expect this to be a physical football game and the team that wins this game will have really earned it you're on mute, Billy Ray. 
rookie. The good news, rookie. the rookie mistake. The good news for Virginia Tech is outside of Ollie Jennings and Nasir Peoples, everybody that is on the injury report as questionable did practice today. Uh, wow. Bell's practice today. Jalen Lane practiced today. Um, uh, Gosnell, I believe, was banged up. Uh, and Burgos, I believe, was banged up. And they all practiced today. Um, okay. So that's one thing to uh, one thing to keep in mind. Oh, wow. Okay. Think of the positives. I just heard a, a, about a, a lot of uh, Rutgers fans in the collective side when they watch uh, watch that piece of the interview. That's something that <laughs> guys are, are we're not having to see some of those guys and making things a little easier on our on, on their defense. Well, we hope for health for everyone in orange and maroon and everyone in scarlet and white as oh, well. Todrick, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, it's oh, been yeah. great to learn about it. I love I, I love learning about football from not only different schools, but different regions of the country. So this has been awesome. Where can people find you, your writing, your coverage, where are you at? Yep. Simply go to nj.com slash Rutgers. Uh, check out the nj.com top 50. I know I fumbled uh, the name of my own top uh, recruiting list, but uh, a lot of great information in there for you guys. And I just recently did a story on Rutgers quarterback commit, uh, class of 2024 guy, A.J. Surrey's Rutgers quarterback of the future, and also a son of a football head coach, Bob Surrey's over at Princeton. So all kind of cool uh, connections there uh, throughout uh, Shiano's coaching tree uh, to the family. And uh, there are a lot of people in Piscataway excited about that tremendous young man. So uh, check it all out at NJ.com slash Rutgers. Todrick, make sure you get the Star Ledger to pay for you to come down to Blacksburg next year when you guys play okay. us in uh, in Virginia. I think uh, you said you said you got it when you went to Penn State. We got a pretty cool environment in the uh, in uh, Virginia Tech too, and hopefully, um, hope, hope, hopefully we're, we're a little bit better next year. And okay. um, but uh, I can promise you, I don't know how good we'll be, but I know the environment will be uh, will be awesome. So hopefully, hey, move in the right direction. Anytime with you, Billy Ray, brother. Thank you, man. All right, guys. Peace. Yeah,